Well, I've been very excited for about a month or so since I was asked to speak. And Cherry and I were invited back here, um, but I'm suddenly very aware that I'm not worthy to be here today. I have no Martin Luther socks. Um, I do have the flash socks. And I have a Batman coffee cup, so, uh, yeah. This, by the way, is one of the very first churches I uh, visited as a new presbyter in what was then the South Texas Presbytery, and I think I was here, I came in in 1989, I think I came to a presbytery that was held here, I think it was 1990, and stayed over for the worship service, and so um, I very much have appreciated Spring Cypress Presbyterian Church for, well, 30 years, and you were one of the very first supporting churches for Cherry and me as we went to Uganda. So thank you for that, and thank you for um, persevering in, in the faith as a church. I direct your attention this morning to the Word of God and the text from which I will be preaching, and it is uh, Isaiah chapter 52, beginning with verse 13 through Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12, and I am reading from the English Standard Version. This is the Word of God. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be lifted high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant... And like a root out of dry ground, he has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not." Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked 
And with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many... And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of the Word of God. We thank you for all of the Word of God. We thank you that it is inspired of God, God-breathed, God-exhaled, and absolutely authentic. Authoritative. Father, we thank you for what we call the Old Testament scriptures because they show us how you dealt in the times prior to the coming of Messiah and they show us how you promised Messiah again and again and again and again throughout these Old Testament scriptures. Help us, Lord, to see Jesus today and help us to give him glory and honor. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What if someone were to tell you that 700 plus years before Jesus came, someone had prophesied exactly who he would be and precisely what he would do? Well, Isaiah did just that. Isaiah 53 has been called the Mount Everest of messianic prophecy. Someone has called it the gospel in Isaiah. Having myself traveled a long way yesterday from Lubbock, eight-hour drive, I think of Isaiah 53 as uh, the GPS of messianic prophecy. It shows us Messiah before the Messiah. I will tell you that in the seventh plus century before Christ, the Israelite people were not looking for a suffering Messiah. They were looking for a health, wealth Messiah. They were looking for uh, a political uh, freedom provider Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that would give them their best life now. And that is not what God sent in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that comes, of course, in the new heavens and in the new earth. But these verses, 15 verses, five stanzas, if you will, provide for us a blueprint, um, a perfect picture of the Messiah that God would send. Now, I'll be rereading these sections and making brief comments, but I, I want you to think of this as five stanzas. And the first stanza and the last stanza provide sort of what we might call bookends for the whole. All of these have something to do with the suffering of the Messiah and the victory of the Messiah in one way or another. But the first and the last put it all 
together. And so the first stanza is chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. And again, I'll, I'll just read through this and make brief comments. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. This first stanza is the suffering Messiah successful. And just note here that this section begins with, with something of suffering, but also the hope of victory, and not a victory just to the Israelites, but a victory to the nations. And that is really typical of the prophets as they wrote. The second stanza, the suffering Messiah misunderstood, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 53. And again I read, who has believed what they've heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And this begins with what we could call the pedigree of the Messiah. Now, people today and people then looked for great leaders to come from great families and to be great people themselves. Well, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus ben Joseph, did not have a high-flying pedigree of the day. Well, he was born in a, a little village named Bethlehem, five miles, about five miles south of Jerusalem. If you stand on the Mount of Olives, you can see it on a clear day. It was a, just a little village back then, and it's a village today. Uh, it's, it's not really a great city to come from. It's not a Rome. It's not even a Jerusalem. And he was then taken to Egypt to escape Herod's sword. And then he was taken to the north of Israel to a little village of just a few hundred people by the name of Nazareth. And this little village was a nowhere. And Jesus was born essentially and grew up as a nobody from nowhere. His father was a simple tradesman. He didn't go to the Harvard of schools of the day. He didn't wear the Gucci clothes of the day. He didn't sport a Rolex watch of the day. Nathaniel's answer to his brother, Philip, who said that Jesus was from Nazareth, said this, Could anything good come from Nazareth? The obvious answer was no. Are you kidding me? 
So his pedigree was really pathetic. And then there was his ministry. You would think that if God sent his son into the world, that the peoples of the world created in God's image would flock to the son of God. That was not the case. The movers and the shakers of the day rejected Jesus and ultimately conspired to put him to death and did. The common people who did flock to him did not flock to a dying and rising savior in their minds. They flocked to a great teacher and to a healer. That's what they wanted. That's what they looked for. His family members thought he was crazy when he claimed to be Messiah. And the hometown folks of Nazareth at one point actually sought to put him to death. I've been to the very spot where they were going to throw him over down the ravine to his death. And then there were his disciples. Did you know that throughout the three-year ministry of Jesus, his disciples never really understood who he was and why he would, had come and what he was about to do. As you read the Gospels, increasingly, toward the very end, he begins to tell them again and again and again that he must suffer and die and rise on the third day. But that was not part of their mindset. It was not what they were looking for. It was not what they wanted. And then he was betrayed by one of his very own, surely Isaiah was right on the money when he said he was despised and we esteemed him not. Stanza number three. The suffering Messiah as a substitute. Verses four through six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, Smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now without some understanding of the sinfulness of sin, these words and this entire section has very little meaning. But Isaiah piles word upon word upon word to focus our attention on the horror of our sin. Our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities. We've gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. And ten times, it seems to me, he goes out of his way to talk about us and we and our and us all and all we. To drive home the fact that every single one of all of us as a people... Born in Adam or born in sin. You would almost think the Apostle Paul had written this. Well, this is where he got it. At least one of the many places from the Old Testament. We make little of sin today. Did you know there are parts of the world where if you tell people 
in presenting the gospel that they are sinners and need a savior. It's hate speech. I work with people from uh, England, Great Britain, and they tell me that if they were to go out and do public preaching and they were to announce this, that it is considered hate speech and they could be taken away. So they take a great danger in telling people that they are, they are sinners. But as Isaiah points out, it's the plurality of us all, and he does mention the individual, every one. So we are guilty of sin, I am guilty of sin, individually you are guilty of sin. Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. After committing adultery with Bathsheba and after murdering, essentially murdering her husband Uriah, David cries out to God against you and you only have I sinned. Because the ultimate sin is sin against God. Someone has said the Bible never says God is love, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. But Isaiah does write, holy, holy, holy. And the holy God is infinitely holy and infinitely offended at our sin. And so we have to take this stuff seriously. Because without the understanding of our sinfulness, Isaiah 53 is really just so many words. It doesn't really mean anything. Sometimes I fear that we have so uh, denuded the reality of our sin down to nothing that when we preach the gospel, it just has no real meaning. I'll never forget becoming a new Christian. And it was after I was a new Christian that I began to realize how utterly sinful I really was. And year after year, I have been increasingly reminded. And as I know more about God and know God more, I understand how offensive it is to the Lord. And so the Lord provides for us something that we cannot provide for ourselves. He gives to us a substitute. He gives to us someone who will take the penalty and guilt of our sins on himself in our place. Taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. And Isaiah, 700 plus years before Christ, pictures all of this. And the necessity of it. And the glory of it. And the beauty of it. Theologians call this substitutionary atonement. And that is the very heart and the center of the Christian faith. We cannot proclaim it enough. The Apostle Paul writes, He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And in Galatians, he just cries out, He loved me and He gave Himself for me. Can you do that? Do you do that? Do you glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? This is called the great exchange. 
our sin to Christ, Christ's righteousness to us. Praise God. That's better than health wealth. It's better than political deliverance. It gives us the righteousness with God that we desperately need for life now and for life in all eternity. And so Isaiah writes, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The fourth stanza, verses 7 through 9, the suffering Messiah submissive. I'm just going to read this and make a couple of comments because it really does speak for itself. If you read the Gospels, you see this played out in the life of Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off after the land of the living, uh, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Just think, 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 think of it for a moment. In the garden, when Judas betrays him, does, does Jesus then defend himself? Guys, you've got the wrong person. Guys, I'm not who you think I am. No. In fact, when wasn't it Peter that cut the servant's ear off? Jesus, stop. Don't be doing that. Don't defend me. And then he goes before Annas and Caiaphas, high priest. And does he defend himself before the Jewish leaders? No. And then he comes before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And Jesus had every opportunity to defend himself and probably free himself from going to the cross. Because Pilate really didn't want to do this. His wife had warned him. And he listened. But he didn't follow through. Jesus did not defend himself at all. And then, in his death, do you know what they did with the poor and the criminals in the first century in the Roman world? They threw them out in a ditch to let their body die in the ditch, to let the animals come and feast, to let the worms crawl around and finally decompose the bodies. In public, in the open, out there. And that would have been Jesus' lot as a supposed criminal. But what happened? A rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, was a rich man. And he came and requested the body of Jesus and was granted it. And Jesus was buried in a proper tomb. Praise God. 700 plus years before Christ. Even that was prophesied. Our last stanza. The suffering Messiah foreordained, yet it was the will of the Lord. Verse 10. The will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. 
The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth here. And I, I can only hit the high points, but I want you to notice this first of all. Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death um, was not a mistake. It was not just a tragic thing. Isaiah tells us it was the Lord's will to crush him. The Hebrew actually says it pleased the Lord to crush him. It was God's will. It was God's purpose. It was God's plan. And the early church picked up on this. We sometimes struggle. Well, I'm not sure I believe in predestination. Well, they all did. And so we read Peter in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility side by side. And then there's Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, here it is, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So here's the deal. Before God ever created the heavens and the earth, way back in eternity, what we call eternity past, there's no past, present, and future with God. It's all a, it's all a, a now. Before God created... Before Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God had already predestined to send His Son to suffer and die for our sins. Now that, my friends, is what theologians call the covenant of redemption. Father chose a people. The Son agreed to come and die for those people. Best commentary on this I know of anywhere is John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. I don't have time to read it now. But it was from all eternity. And then notice that he his soul makes an offering. We often speak of Christ on the cross and his passive obedience. And there's something to that. It's just not the best term in the world because he was actively engaged in offering up himself for our sins. That's what he did. The book of Hebrews presents him as our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I like to picture Jesus as the great high priest on the cross offering himself as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Praise be to God. But as the fifth of our pieces here, as the last of the bookends, as the first one began with his victory, the last one also ends with his victory. 
because he will divide the spoil with the strong. And it leads me to think that Isaiah had in mind not only would he die, not only would he be buried, but that he would rise from the dead. He would ascend to the right hand of the majesty on high. He would ever live to make intercession for us. And he would be the heir of all things. And we with him would be co-heirs. You see, the whole of the New Testament goes back to Isaiah 53. The whole of the life of Christ in the Gospels gleans from Isaiah 53. And saw that this prophet... Hundreds of years before Christ came, had already mapped it out, had GPSed it, and shown us how it would be and where it would go. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for Isaiah's portrayal of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the suffering servant of Jehovah. And we pray, our Father, that you would drive these truths into our souls and may we go back and read Isaiah again and again. And may we read the Gospels in light of Isaiah. May we read Paul in light of Isaiah. May we read Hebrews in light of Isaiah. And may we be thankful and give you the glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.